0: Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner at Steichmann & Elliott in the uh, M&A and Private Equity Group. For today's special guest for our podcast, I'd like to welcome George Rosalados, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Canadian Business Growth Fund. Um, George, I, you you are a, a deal guy for, for many years in the space, and, and I, I know you have uh, a lot to offer us today, and there's lots to talk about, so I'm excited to have you, and I'd like to start by by talking a little bit about you and your history, and you have a very diversified history in the space, so I'd, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about, uh, about your past, and, and, um, and then also a bit about the Canadian Business Growth Fund, because it's been a great success story in the marketplace, and a, a real middle market success story.
1: Thank you, Mario. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, my, my background is quite it is quite different than than many. I, I started as a CPA with Ernst & Young and uh, decided that that wasn't going to be my ultimate career path and went back to school to study and did an MBA in the U.S. Uh, on studying marketing. I thought I'd diversify my skill set a little bit and ended up falling into private equity. I joined a firm called Harrison, a private equity firm run by a, a legendary guy in Canada named Brent Bellsberg in the private equity space that I learned a, a ton from him and he ended up wanting to start a, a different firm and asked me to join him and we worked and uh, started a Starbucks crafting a business plan and you know I worked for free for months trying to you know trying to help and, and ultimately we raised a fund which many of you would know as TorQuest and uh, with our first commitment from teachers and that was an amazing experience working with Brent along the way and, and TorQuest became very successful and we raised a, a couple funds over ten over nine years, and uh, and and when the ninth year came on, I thought it was time to maybe go run a company. I, I thought a lot of private equity folks go through their careers never having had the experience of running a, a, a company at all, and, and we're advising entrepreneurs all the time, and so I really wanted to do that. So I left. I went to find uh, a business that I could put money in and ultimately run, and it took me about ten months to find that company, and I, and I backed this uh, money losing troubled turnaround public company called Avante Logics at the time and, and put my money in, went in to run it. And uh, for seven years, I, over really two years, I turned it around and uh, got it to cash flow break even and then started thankfully making money at one point and growing it organically and then making acquisitions. And it ended up being a, a great story, but with a lot of uh, war war wounds and scars uh, along the way. But uh, it was, uh, it was a, again, the public company experience was very different as well. And fast forward to uh, three years ago, I got a call from a couple of the Canadian banks uh, that wanted to create a evergreen growth fund in Canada to back Canadian entrepreneurs, which is right down my alley. And I, I loved the idea. I was passionate about it from the second I heard it. And so I, I quit my role as a, as a public company CEO, helped find my successor, and then came to start this fund from scratch. You know, we literally um, had a borrowed office, it was just me, and, and hired a few people and uh, one of the investors lent us some money to get started and had a borrowed office and, and wrote a business plan and, and we closed $525 million from 13 Canadian, if Canada's largest financial institutions to do this evergreen fund. And it's been a wonderful three years. We launched in mid 2018 and have since done 21 investments, have done 12 follow-ons. We have had two exits and uh, built a brand in Canada um, helping entrepreneurs grow and scale. And uh, we're growing and scaling ourselves as a fund now with uh, with 22 employees as well. So that's a, that's a bit of the, the history uh, behind where we are today.
0: the uh, the Canadian Business Growth Fund has been uh, such a great uh, addition to the marketplace so we call it the CBGF. Um, and and uh, you know one of the things I really like about uh, about the CBGF and I'm hoping you can spend a bit of time telling our audiences is, it's it's different from other investors. it's um it's very attuned to to the to the companies that it invests in. it's it's a passive investor. it's got a long-term horizon. it's it's got terms that are you know very, very friendly and in in many different ways, both from governance, from economics. and so it's very appealing uh, and you know in our marketplace where particularly in the middle market, it's hard to find good capital. you know the cbGf has really done a lot to to uh, to help add an additional, you know, powerful capital source for mid-market companies, and I was hoping you can tell us a little about that philosophy and the the kind of sweet spot for the CBGF in terms of of how you invest, what you look for, and and the kind of terms that you you're normally willing to live with, which were very company friendly. Sure, I'll give it a shot. So,
1: one of the premises that we you know started this idea with was that. Canada's very good at starting firms. Our, our angel and venture community is, is quite strong. We're very good at selling companies. Our strategic buyers you know, are buying are quite active, and, and our private equity buyers, our LBO funds, are buying very active. And we have you know many buyers that are south of the border and international that are buying up our companies. What we haven't done well in Canada is take these smaller companies and scale them and grow them and, and give them a longer horizon so that they become truly... The dominant players in their space and international leaders, and we haven't done that as well as we used to. And there's a range of studies that prove that out. And the the idea for the Canadian Business Growth Fund came out of an advisory council that was put together by the government about four or four and a half years ago or so of a nonpartisan group of Canadian business leaders, and and that they were tasked with coming up with ideas that we how could we make Canadian businesses more competitive. And one of the ideas they came up with is we need more patient minority capital. Why? Because the the typical private equity capital is three to five year money. You know, there's some exceptions, but generally, as soon as a fund takes private equity capital, they're on a three to five year path to exit. And I know from experience, you can't build a great company in three to five years. You just can't. And, you know, some entrepreneurs need 10 years, could need 15 years to really grow their business. And, And so there wasn't a lot of capital that was that patient. And secondly, there were a lot of suboptimal decisions getting made by companies raising capital. You know, for example, they they'd want to raise five and someone would say, look, 15 is our minimum. You know, we take 15 or we can't do a deal. And so they would take more than they need. It would sit on the balance sheet. They would dilute way more than they needed to early, which was, there was a snowball effect, which means they lose control faster. And that we saw that happening over and over again. Um, for You know, I, I've seen it a, a number of times. And so we thought... If we could come to market with an evergreen fund that was fair, that treated the, the entrepreneurs fairly, that only only acted in a way that was optimal for the company, and if they need five, we'll do five. Even though it's small for most funds, we're happy with five. That we could help them um, on, on fair terms keep control of their businesses longer. And so we're not, you know, we're a for-profit fund. We try and generate a fair return for the risk we take on, but we're, we're fair to the company. And so generally, we're investing in, in a preferred share instrument. Generally, we go from the CVCA standard preferred share doc. And to the extent it's riskier than average, we'll, we might have some other clauses we add, but we're completely upfront with how what we're doing. There's no fine print. We're, you know, we're... Fully transparent with these entrepreneurs. And then we try to bring help to the table. So they appreciate that we're a made in Canada solution, because they can check us out with a few phone calls and reputation matters here. They appreciate that we're a patient minority and will cater to the size of capital they they need and not overly dilute them. And they think that we, you know, they're happy that we can bring relationships and help to the table with experienced scaling companies and with the background of, of the big five Canadian banks and X5 Canadian banks and the lar- three largest insurance companies and having those relationships that we can bring to the table. So it, it's really an interesting product. We launched not really knowing what the reception would be, but it's been very warm and. We've had a, a plethora of opportunities. And, and like I said, we're, we're trying to invest into eight, eight to 10 new companies a year. We will have done that last year. We will do that again this year and, uh, and help them over the longer term. And, and we've met some success doing that. And, and by all the same time, it, it, we've brought a lot of help to the table. And there, we have countless examples of how these companies have gotten better because of the help we've, we've, we've brought. And, and that makes us quite proud.
0: And George, I, you know, what's the minimum check size? I mean, you're 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 very broad, and one of the great things about the fund is it's it's, you know, I I know you have a broad range on the check size, broad range on the industries. You don't require a board seat. Uh, You're you're you know, you're a true passive investor. You're not looking to force exits, as you said. Um, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of the details for you know, when you look at a deal, is there the minimums, there the industries you won't do, the industries you will do, just the flavor nope. of kind of, because of I, I, what, I, what makes the fund to me, what makes a CBGF so uh, exciting for our marketplace is, you know, I think you said it very well in the past, it's just been very hard to find capital because the people who are giving it have so many strings attached, but yep. what makes you so interesting is it's, it's just, just so unusual to have a fund that, that is just very flexible. Very accommodating. Very much, I'd like to say, one, wanting to be a true partner. Absolutely, I think that's how
1: I would classify us. Calling us passive might be a, a bit of a, a, a not an incorrect kind of description in that we are we're, we're active. That we want to be part of. We want to know what the company's up to, so we can help and. We often have a board seat, sometimes it's the observer seat, and however, we're always a minority. We cannot contractually control yeah. anything. So there's no creeping control or any of these clauses that some that's, firms that. have. And, and
0: that's and that's yeah, we're we're on the same page. That's what I yeah, mean by passive. Yeah. Exactly. And no it, creeping control, no no heavy handedness in terms of governance, exactly.
1: Yeah. No, we can't hire and fire anyone. We're just trying to help. We're trying to be cooperative and bring help to the table if they need it. And if they're okay, they're okay. You know, we we back a variety of uh, Experienced levels in our, in our entrepreneurs. Some have never done this before; have never raised outside capital. Some of this is their fourth rodeo, and they need differing levels of help. And we try and, and supplement where they want to be helped. Not we don't force them to take it. <laughs> and, and so we're very collaborative. And in terms of our our target range, we're not a startup investor. We try and you know that's for the venture world and the angel world. So we have a notional floor of five million of revenue for the company, and that's not. It's not meant to be scientific, but it's meant to indicate that there's some scale, there's a product market fit, they're selling a pro- something at a margin, improved a concept. That's what we're trying to get to. It's not it's not a, a pre-proven type, we're not a pre-proven type investor. So usually it's 5 million and up. In, in practice, our investments have been in companies that are in the 10 to $25 million of revenue stage. And we invest anywhere from 3 million to 20. And as you know, most private equity funds who started 50 or 60 and go from there, well, we're okay with three. You know, if, if And we were happy to put more money in over time at, at higher valuations as the company grows. It, it's fair in that, you know, the company's growing, so it should be worth more, but it's great for the entrepreneur because they're selling less early and and and, and more of the company at higher valuation. So they dilute less. And so it's a, it's a good model all around and it's fair. It's fair to everybody involved and there's no, uh, miscommunication in terms of what our, our our goals are and and or what we want to accomplish. It's all straight down the middle. And like I said, we, we want the company to grow. We don't want them to sell early, but if they want to sell, it's their decision. They're in control. And that's happened twice to us already. Out of our 21 investments, two have sold. And nothing to do with us. It's just the entrepreneur had an opportunity. They came to us and said, look, this is a great opportunity. We want to take it. And, and we supported them. Uh, although we would have liked to them to keep going for a bit longer, but that's okay. Like that's their
0: call. That's the part, that's the
1: important part of taking minority capital. You're still in charge.
0: And you're industry agnostic, George, right? Yeah. You, you, you're willing to look at everything. I mean, uh, you know, some people say you're sexy for tech or all that stuff. You, on the other hand, are are doing everything across the board. Eh? Every, every, every industry is something you look at.
1: Yeah, you know, our SMEs are the driver of our economies. Our small, medium-sized businesses, and we're investing more in the M's and the medium-sized ones at five million and over. But you know, the ones that you read about in the paper are the so-called potential unicorn-type targets that are tripling every year. They've got you know of firms trying to invest in them, and they've got billion-dollar valuations. You read about those, but those are rare. Uh, most of our growth in Canada comes from that medium-sized business it's grinding it out growing 10 15 20 25 percent a year doing some acquisitions that's where the the need of our job creation is in canada and those industries span you know really span the country and we intend our portfolio ultimately to be a reflection of canada and even to date we've got companies that are doing consolidations in the auto collision repair space and we have a so- education software business we have a Waste management company that's making acquisitions. We have a mental health services company. We have a, a technology-enabled media company. We have a, a food processing business, a food, a, a food, a food, food manufacturer, and so we run the gamut. Uh, we're agnostic. They need to be based in Canada, although many of them have foreign operations and they've grown internationally. And we try and invest across the country, not just. Uh, it's easy for Ontario funds to focus on Ontario because you know they're you're sitting in Ontario, but We've already backed companies in Kelowna, Victoria, uh, Vancouver, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, Halifax, Quebec. We've really, in in three short years, we've managed to establish our brand across the country, which we're quite proud of. And we want to continue to, to expand that geographic reach as well.
0: George, you know what's fascinating? I mean, you, about the the CBGF is, you know, the Canadian marketplace traditionally, in term comes when it comes to sell side advisors, you know, they haven't they haven't really focused on minority deals. You know, our sell side advisors almost uh, take a dislike to them because yeah. you know they're harder to do, harder to find capital for. And so you've, you know, you've had this great story of 21 tr- transactions in the last three years, and and I wanted to ask you where where are you finding your deals because there's not a lot of them that would be would be through sell side advisors given that the nature of our sell side advisors. Fairness to that, these are just tough deals to, to uh, to close uh, minority capital raises. Uh, I wanted to give us, I mean, and without giving up the secret sauce, I guess, George, if you could give us a little bit <laughs> of perspective on where where you where you've been finding these deals, like where where do you source deals?
1: Well, Mario, you know the market so well because what you said is is spot on. It's exactly right in that. Uh, advisors don't like taking on minority deals because they're, they're complicated and they're relationship based. You know, someone's taking on, it's a marriage, essentially. Someone's taking on their first institutional investor and they want to meet them. They want to get to know them. And that's hard to run a blind process where people are bidding, you know, to, to buy something, which is what they're used to. It's much easier to do that than to actually get, get relationships involved <laughs> and get, yeah. get uh, meetings between companies and targets. It's hard. And, uh, and for us, we, we feel the same way. We're backing values and integrity, and we're 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 hoping that the entrepreneurs we back share our values and share our integrity. And we want to meet them. We want to get to know who they are as people. and And so, it's hard for a, a typical advisor to actually run a process like that. And uh, and so, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of our, our companies, uh, the investments we've made, are through our relationships. We get introduced through trusted advisors. We meet them. We have a you know a, a very we spend a lot of our time reaching out to companies, and it's word of mouth. Our business is so word of mouth is so important. Reputation matters so much, and so we find our 21 target portfolio company CEOs are great refers. I've already referred us deals that we've already closed, and and so we hope to continue. You know what we do, what we say, we execute. We're you know we're respectful. We bring help to the table, and and so we're. You know, because of all of that, our entrepreneurs are happy to, to tell all their friends about us, which is wonderful. And you know, the other point I would make, and Mario, you and I have had this conversation uh, in the past, but uh, lawyers and accountants and advisors, like like advisors, have been great help for us because usually, you know, Mario, you'd be maybe not. I'm not. I don't want to personalize this to you, but most lawyers would be nervous to introduce their their great clients to a biochop because what usually happens is they they buys control of the company Uh, they usually bring in their own lawyers you know it, it puts it on a path to sell in three to five years and they would bring in their own lawyers and it's hard to retain that client when there's transactions like that and what we say is that we're we're client retention you know for an accountant or a lawyer because they're still in control the people that hire you still own the company they're still picking you we're not telling them we can't tell them to change it's their their company and we're putting capital in to accelerate velocity of acquisitions of activity and they'll need more, not less advice along the way, more, more legal advice, more accounting advice. And so uh, that's resonated with advisors. So we've been very fortunate in that advi- legal and accounting advisors and others have
0: been very um, willing
1: to refer us into their clients uh, for those reasons.
0: George, I, I want to spend a little bit of time uh, taking advantage of your, your kind of deep uh, market knowledge. You've been a participant in the market for uh, many, many years in various capacities. And um I mean, we're we're in such an interesting time uh, with COVID, uh, with this very kind of robust, dynamic market. And I know you obviously sit in a unique position uh, at CBGF. But I wanted to get your perspective on, you know, where you see this market going. You're obviously still trying to put capital to work. You're seeing valuations that have gone up. You're, you know, you're seeing the dynamic nature of the market right now. Would love to get your perspective from where you're sitting, and also from your own historical perspective on where you see the market. Uh, going in terms of uh, M and A and transactions, and your your perspective on um, on and, and also in, in respect of where CBGF is going, which is a good bellwether for us. So, w- was hoping to get a sense of where you think things are going and where you think this market will will end up, given uh, you know the robust nature of deal flow and pricing and, and activity right now.
1: That is a great question and one that I could spend a lot of time answering. But you know, <laughs> sure. it, it's interesting <laughs> in that the the answers would be different depending on what part of the market we're talking about. And I think just generally speaking, big deals are are generally very expensive, historically very expensive, no matter how you look at them. Uh, they're, they're trading off of the top revenues they've ever had at the top multiples they've ever had at the highest debt levels they've ever had. And so that whole world uh, I see flags there uh, having a, a bio background. I remember 2007 really well, I remember two thousand really well. it just feels quite quite toppy and, and makes all of us nervous. Having said that, that's not where we're playing. You know, we're playing in companies that are in the ten to thirty million dollar range as well as five million of revenue. And they don't have a lot of options. You know, they're they it's not institutional investors can't come down to a $3 million investment and they just can't because, you know, there's a bunch of reasons and Mary, you, you know them better than me, but to start a fund is expensive to administer a fund is expensive. There's a lot of legal advice required. There's a lot of tax advice required. There's a lot of regulatory work that has to get done. You can't raise capital and invest at 3 million at a time in a, in a, in a institutional fund. It doesn't work. Or even 10 million or 5 million. And so we're fortunate in our, our bank and insurance company shareholders have given us this runway as an evergreen fund and the ability to, do these smaller deals and we're filling a gap and we're being fair. We're, we're you know, if we didn't make, make the market clearing multiple price, we wouldn't get any deals on because there are us firms out there. There's others that are interested in these companies, but it's not the feeding frenzy that you're seeing in the higher part of the market. And that, so I think it gives me great comfort that we are filling that gap because a lot of these companies, you know, and, and as I connect all of what I've said now to COVID it's a whole other layer of complication. And there's there's really a few different types of companies that, in terms of COVID experience. So some that are kind of zeros essentially, the revenue stopped. There's some that the revenue accelerated during COVID, and then there's the ones that have been affected but not fatally. And we've tended to focus on the ones that have been affected but not fatally, and some of the ones that have benefited from COVID because you know our goal is to make an impact and and create impact in our investments. And like, there have been opportunities there. And you know where we've done you know we we've responded to COVID by leaning into it. And a lot of firms didn't do that. A lot of firms said, let's wait this out. It's too risky. And it actually created this void of capital uh, about a year, year and a half ago in, in the space. And we, we stopped, we leaned in, we, we changed the way we did business a little bit in that we, we tranched our deals, you know, instead of putting 10 in right away, we'd put five in in the, in the middle of COVID and the fog of war, we put five in and then we'd have the right to put another five in. And, um, and we've done that a couple of times, but we were very active. And, and the entrepreneur's, appreciate that uh that vote of confidence and and the loyalty is there and we've since put more money in. these are some great stories so it's a it's hard to answer the the breadth of your question in in a a few minutes but that's how we look at it we we've got to focus on the market we play in despite the fact that the the macro factors in some of these the bigger transactions and the public world is quite different
0: I have one last question for you, uh, George, and it it really more so relates to the success of the CBGF. You know, what the CBGF has proved is you said it right on the nose that there is not enough capital to invest in these growing Canadian companies. Given the success story of the CBGF, do you think we'll see more funds like the CBGF? I mean, it's a great bellwether. It's a great flag raiser for, for people who, you know, are considering putting money to work and creating capital focused on this segment of the market. I'm curious if you think that one of the the great uh, long-term success stories of the CBGF is to create more interest in uh, allocating capital to this side of the market.
1: I hope we do. It's a big market and there's opportunity for everyone involved. And I hope we do. Um, However, the caveat I would say is a lot of funds dabble in this lower middle part of the market hoping to do a couple of good deals and then trade up and raise a bigger fund yeah. and do bigger deals. Yeah. And so they're they're transitory. They're in the space for, you know, for a year or two or three, and then they're gone. And that's not what we need uh, because the, there's brands can't get established. Relationships can't get established. Trust can't get established, but we're fortunate in that we're here. We're staying here and we can build a brand over time through word of mouth. And we need, I, th- I think we need more capital in the space. And it's just, it's a hard equation to solve for because of the size versus um, overhead dynamic of typical private equity and i'm not sure how to solve that i think we're part of the solution and and hopefully we can do more over time but uh, there's certainly room for more
0: george i want to thank you it's been uh, absolutely wonderful to have you really appreciate you joining us and providing insight and, and really just just totally appreciate the work that you're doing at the cbgf it's great for all of us in the middle market it just strengthens the market so so thank you enormously for joining us today
1: thank you so much and thank you to you for all you do for the mid market you know you're you've been a big supporter of the the mid market in canada for many years i think we've known each other for 10 plus years and, and you've always been an advocate and supporter so really appreciate all that you do
0: thank you George. thank you thank you again
1: thank you